It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is magician Jen Kramer, who performs the magic of Jen Kramer in the Westgate Cabaret at Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 5 p.m. For ticket information, go to westgateresorts.com. And for everything about Jen Kramer, go to Magic of Jen. That's J-E-N, magicofjen.com. And you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube at Jen Kramer Magic. And Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Well, I'm delighted you're here. And my important first question is, can you make a black belt disappear? <laughs> yeah, it's been so many years since I uh, since I earned my black belt in karate. But wow, Ira, you have done your research. I'm impressed. Well, yeah, I was impressed that you made it disappear. And now you're going to make it reappear and then damage me in some way. So that's okay. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> you have an, an unusual background because you graduated with honors in theater from Yale University, where I think most magicians graduate from the University of Magic Shops. So yeah. you actually have an authentic academic degree, or maybe it's the University of Tannen. I don't know. But the point <laughs> is... <laughs> oh, you know, you know the magic world, too. Yes. Yeah, for, for any listeners, yeah, Tannen's uh, Magic Camp was a, was a wonderful experience, and there's the Tannen's Magic Shop in New York. So, Ira, are, are you a magician and you haven't told us? Well, let me phrase it this way, and I, I will be very careful. I am very much an amateur magician. Lance Burton knows this and other magicians fielding West. They all know I'm very amateurish. And I think I have perfected somewhat the French drop. So later on, we'll do that on the air. And oh, uh, we'll I be love fine. that. So, That's great. Oh, the French drop is a classic. Of course. Definitely. So how did you get started in the world of magic? You were in theater, obviously at Yale. You have a very unusual background because not only do you come from the world of Yale, but you also served on the advisory board for Magicians Without Borders. And we can talk a little bit about that. You're always out there doing stuff. So where did that love of magic come from? When I was 10 years old, my Uncle Steve gave me a book as a 10th birthday present. And this book was called The Royal Road to Card Magic. It's one of my most treasured physical possessions to this day because it's that book that really first piqued my interest in magic. I loved that book. I would just spend hours and hours sitting on the floor of my childhood bedroom reading this book and learning the slights. And I started performing absolutely anywhere and everywhere I could, trying to gain that flight time, as Lance Burton would say, that performing experience in front of real people. And then was really fortunate to have the opportunity to study theater at Yale, uh, as you mentioned. And there's so much overlap, of course, between magic and theater. And I knew that Las Vegas was the magic mecca of the world and was a place that I was really interested in, in spending more time and potentially launching a full-time career. I knew that magic was something I was interested in really pursuing full-time. And then those college years for me were largely about figuring out how do I take this thing that I love so much and how do I turn it into that full-time profession that I dream of? How do I work out the practical realities of doing that? So I then uh, graduated and moved out to Las Vegas. That was 2014. And I absolutely love living in this city, being a magician in this in this magical city. It's, uh, it's definitely a special place. What were the reactions by your friends and family to the decision, A, to become a magician, and B, 
to move to Las Vegas to become a magician? So I have been so fortunate to have really supportive family and friends in my life. And my parents growing up, I remember they would always tell me, just do something that you really love to do. Because if you really have a passion for it, if you really love it, then you'll be motivated to succeed at it, to work really hard at it. And that's something that I've always really taken to heart. And magic, you know, I was bit, bit by the magic bug when I was 10 years old, and there was just something about it that really piqued my curiosity. And to this day, it's just something that I, I really love. I love the element of connecting with people through magic. I love being able to share that experience of wonder. So magic has been just this amazing part of my life. And again, I'm just really grateful for the friends and family in my life who have been so supportive of that very unconventional decision to graduate from college and decide, hey, I'm going to move out to Las Vegas and become a professional magician. Wait a minute. Those are three unconventional decisions. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> Each one is, a, is an unconventional decision on its own. So your parents, when you were growing up and you were 10 and you, all of a sudden you're reading The Royal Road to, was it to Magic? Uh, Royal Road to Card Magic. Oh, yes. To Card Magic, yes. Okay, well, I want to test you on this before I go to my question. What well, my second question? But who was the author of Royal Road to Card Magic? The Royal Road to Card Magic. So it was a book that was published in the 1940s, and it was published by two authors, by uh, Frederick Brow and Jean Hugard. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Okay, you are le- totally legitimate because, and nobody else would have been able to come up with those two names when all of a sudden I ask you who the authors were of a book you read initially when you were 10 years old. So there you go. You're, you're, you're validated here. <laughs> you know what? I've spent so much time with that book. And you know, you know what's really special about that book, in case any of your listeners are, uh, are interested in, in learning card magic, what I've always loved about that book is that each chapter will teach you an individual flight related to playing cards, and then it will immediately teach you a magic trick, an effect that you can perform using that flight. So I felt like it was a really motivating way to learn because you learn this potentially complicated sleight of hand move, but then you'd immediately see, oh, here's how I can apply that sleight of hand move to connect with people and to share magic with people. So I always thought that the, the way that book is structured, it's, it's really such a classic. And, and again, it was published in the 1940s. And, right. and to this day, it just has uh, so much great information. You indicated the word slight, and then you said you rounded it out later by saying sleight of hand. So when people just say, in the world of magic, when they say slight, they're referring to sleight of hand, which is to our listeners, a definition of how you manipulate cards or coins or objects oh, so that right. people can't see what you're doing. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So now you move out here to Las Vegas, and did you have job prospects or show prospects when you first moved out, or did you have to work at it a bit and just apply your craft and eventually put your show together? Which, again, for people who are just tuning in, is the magic of Jen Kramer at the Westgate Cabaret, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 5. Oh, thank you. So when I was in college, I know we touched on this a bit earlier, but that was when I really started thinking more seriously about how to turn magic into a full-time career and, and how I would work out those practical realities. So when I was in college, I took an internship with Nathan Burton, and he and his team are, are great. And I learned a lot about the Vegas showbiz world. And up until that point, I had only been in Vegas for a few days at a time for a magic convention, but hadn't really spent any serious time in Las Vegas, and, and I really wanted to. And so having the chance to work as a part of Nathan's team and learn all about what this Vegas showbiz world is all about 
really gave me a better sense for whether Vegas would be the right place for me. And, and after that experience, I determined, yes, Vegas is the place that I would, would absolutely love to, to launch that full-time career. So during my junior and senior years of high, of, excuse me, of college, during my junior and senior years of college, I started reaching out to venues and, and contacts in Las Vegas. And it was primarily cold calls, really. It was cold calls and emails to various smaller hotels and resorts, pitching my idea for a show. And at the time, because most of them were cold calls, I fully expected that most of the answers I would get would be knows that they didn't know me personally. It wasn't anything to take personally. But many of them, as it turns out, said, well, we've, we've never done this before. We don't have the right space for it. We don't have the right budget. And I thought, no problem. If I just get one yes, it's a win. It doesn't matter if I reach out to 30, 40, 50 places. If I just get one yes, that's all I need. So I, I just continue to be persistent and, uh, and just go after that goal of of working as a magician in Las Vegas and continued reaching out. And ultimately, during my senior year, I flew out to Las Vegas during my spring break to have an in-person meeting with a few of the people I had had preliminary conversations with. And of course, I started these conversations from, from Yale, from New Haven, Connecticut, from my dorm room. And uh, my goal was really, can I sit down in a room with the decision maker? Because I felt like my best shot at making this happen would be if I, if I had that personal connection, if I could sit down in a room and pitch my idea to them face-to-face. -face. So uh, there, was, there was one person at the Wyndham Grand Desert Resort at the time who was open to taking an in-person meeting, and I met with him, and that was the first hotel where I started doing a weekly show every Wednesday night. So I knew when I moved to Las Vegas, I had that one weekly show set up that I knew I could, could count on. And then once we were doing that for about a month, I was in conversations with some other properties this, this, uh, as this was all going on. And once we had a working model for that first show at that first hotel, some of the other properties that I was in conversation with said, hey, we have this working model. It's working well at this other hotel. So we're open to giving it a shot. And then I started doing a second weekly show at Marriott's Grand Chateau. And then soon after that, a third weekly show at Cancun Resort. And I was doing... At the same time, I, I had those weekly shows in Vegas. I was also traveling and doing college shows and doing corporate shows and private events and just, uh, again, gaining that performing experience and that flight time and just those, you know, many hundreds and thousands of hours of, of performing under my belt. And that's something that I'm, I'm really grateful for. That's a great story. And it shows you the power of determination that you're able to, from your dorm room, start setting up meetings and cold calling, and you have to go through a certain number of no's to get to a yes. That's the, the basic approach. And mm -hmm. you did that. And I, I think that's inspirational for people who are thinking about getting into the business. You can still do it. You just have to have perseverance. You have to have that passion that you talked about when you were first introduced to the world of magic. And it helps to have support of parents and family and friends as well. But to come all the way out to Las Vegas, I mean, I've been here a long time, so it's nothing to me. But to come out to Las Vegas and just say, look, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and now you're doing it, that's pretty good. Oh, thank you so much. And, and again, it's something I'm, I'm really grateful for, uh, doing the show at Westgate with the wonderful people I get the chance to work with who really feel like family, uh, you know, and having that, that Las Vegas residency at such a special historic property. That was the property where Elvis performed hundreds of shows and 
and uh, Barbara Streisand, all of these these you know, legends in, in the entertainment industry. And I just feel incredibly fortunate to have the chance to really fulfill what had been a, a lifelong dream of mine to have a Las Vegas residency and, and to do it at such a special place at, at Westgate is, you know, I don't mean to sound corny, but it really is a dream come true and, and something that I, I'm so appreciative of. Yes, and it was formerly the Las Vegas Hilton and before that the International, so it has a lot of history. And I think that your biggest shot, I think what you could do to really make worldwide headlines is since you are in the property that Elvis performed in, if you can make him reappear. <laughs> I now think that this, would be a good one. Yeah, this I, like I think this could work really well, especially <laughs> in the Westgate Cabaret, which, you know, it's not a big showroom, but it, if Elvis appeared there, it would make a pretty big impact. Oh, my goodness. Elvis is incredible. I'll, I'll have to start working yeah, on that. Yeah, work on that, that as soon as possible. Right exactly. I know there's the <laughs> statue of him, but I want the actual person. See if, see if The actual work. real life Yeah, Elvis exactly has. right. Yes. I love that. Love when you that. When you approached the show... And you now, you were doing, as you mentioned, you were doing show one here, show two there, show three here, you're on the road, you're getting all that flight time, and you're developing more confidence, you're developing more skill, you're developing more interaction with the audience and a comfortable aspect to that as well. Do you have the mindset that you can always learn more? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the show itself is a great example of that. I'm really proud of what we've created so far, but to me, it's something that is continually evolving, and I love that. I think in, in my mind, it's that, again, it's something I'm proud of, but it's never truly a finished product in that I always want to keep improving. I always want to keep learning and keep making the show better and keep tweaking things and, oh, can I adjust this line ever so slightly? Or, oh, is there a better way that I can achieve this particular magic effect? And I I love that. I always want to be continually improving. Absolutely. Well, let's take a break. My guest is magician Jen Kramer. She performs The Magic of Jen Kramer, that's K-R-A-M-E-R, in the Westgate Cabaret at Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 5 p.m. For ticket information, go to westgateresorts.com. And for everything about Jen Kramer, go to magicofjen.com. And you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube at Jen Kramer Magic. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. These days, everyone needs a little help. Even if you're starting to get back on your feet, Three Squares Emergency Food Pantry Partners and mobile food sites are still open and ready for you. These resources are available for anyone who needs a little help. We're here to serve our city's children, elderly, at-risk families, and new families experiencing job loss or extra challenges due to the pandemic. Finding a location near you is easy. Just go to threesquare.org and click Get Help. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with magician Jen Kramer, who performs the magic of Jen Kramer in the Westgate Cabaret at Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 5 p.m. For ticket information, go to westgateresorts.com. And for everything about Jen Kramer, go to magicofjen.com and follow her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube at Jen Kramer Magic. And Jen, please explain to our audience, how is it that you can make an elephant appear on the stage of that small cabaret? 
How do you do that? Oh, maybe you don't. Okay. Well, now, that gets me to my real question, which is, how do you balance out the different kinds of magic? Because as you know, and most people know, there's close-up magic, there's big stage illusions, there's all kinds of different elements to magic that you can combine or separate. So what's your approach with your show? Sure. And I think that's one of the most exciting elements of magic, too, is that every magician really has their own way of presenting magic, their own character and their own type of magic that they focus on. Like you mentioned, there's close-up magic, which is how I first got started with that Royal Road book. There are the big illusions. There's the mentalism and mind reading. There are so many different ways to be a magician. And my show is really focused on audience participation, and it's focused on fun. I want people to come and have a good time and not only feel like they're watching the show, but also feel like they're a part of the show. And I say this on stage every night, and it is so true that every single show that we do is a little bit different because every audience is different. And the audience really does make the show what it is for a show like mine, where there is so much of that audience interaction. And I love that. It means that you just never know exactly what might happen. I think that keeps things really exciting and allows me to really be present with people in the moment and connect with them. But as far as the type of magic itself, it's a blend. There's some sleight of hand magic that we have on the LED screen so people can see it up close. There are also large illusions in the show. There are some new surprises. A big part of what I was working on over the pandemic was adjusting the show and adapting it to make it work well in our new normal. So I wanted to keep the show feeling engaging, keep, it, keep people feeling like they're a part of the show, make it as fun and as engaging as ever, make it bigger and better than ever. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure, of course, to keep in mind the social distancing and allow people to participate in ways that work in our new normal, that work well. So for example, in a situation where someone in the pre-pandemic version of the show might come up on stage and might select a card from a group of cards, for example. Uh, now I'll have that person still very much make a free decision, but they'll be able to make those choices right from their seat. So that was a, a creative challenge for sure. But something that I'm really excited about now in the new show is being able to keep that element of audience participation that I love so much. Is one of your illusions having a drone fly around inside the place? <laughs> So that would be interesting. Actually, Ira, funny enough, it doesn't come up very often, but I uh, just a few months ago officially became a, a uh, an FAA certified drone pilot. Which is why, of course, I raised the question. <laughs> <laughs> Ira, you really have done your research. You well, really I have. try to find out everything I can. I, I'm not bringing up your arrests and imprisonment over the years. <laughs> okay, I made that part up. So when you're performing in the cabaret, do you see... Because it's an intimate room, you, you do see the faces of the audience, and they see, obviously see you on stage because you're on stage. But in other words, you have that interaction even at a slight distance. Right. Absolutely. And I think, again, that interaction to me is something that I value so much because at its core, I think magic is all about connecting with people. I think that's what makes it really meaningful to me is being able to share something that I care so much about and and to have those moments of, of genuine human connection, I absolutely love that. I was thinking of having a career in, in magic, but I, I read, instead of the royal road to card magic, I read 
the peasant road to card magic. It just didn't give me enough <laughs> enough fuel for my career. So I guess it's just it's just me and the French drop. I'll leave it at that. And thank you very much for laughing at my terrible jokes. I appreciate that. People listen from all over the world and they know about Las Vegas. They know about magic. But what's unusual about you also, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this, is there are not a lot of females in magic. Is that due to historic cultural decisions or is it just the way it is because it's an unusual world to begin with? I think there are many factors that go into that question. Uh, It's true. Magic has historically been such a male-dominated field. But one thing that I see that's, that's very encouraging and that makes me really happy to see is that I see in the magic world more and more women and young girls becoming involved in magic as magicians. And I'm so thrilled to see that. We before the pandemic, would always do a meet and greet. Hopefully we'll be able to, to start that up again soon, where after the show, I'll get together with audience members, we'll take pictures and sign autographs and get to chat and get to know each other. And there would often be times where kids and young girls would come up and they'd give me a hug and they'd say, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Now I want to be a magician or I love magic. And to be able to hopefully inspire more young girls in magic when magic has been this amazing, really meaningful part of my life uh, is something that's so rewarding to me. And, and it, it makes me just really happy and really encouraged to see more and more young girls and women becoming magicians nowadays. Well, I think what you could do too to add to that is just as you served as an intern to Nathan Burton, perhaps one of these young people can be an intern to you. Hey, perhaps at some point. Yeah. I, I have to say, I love I absolutely love being able to support fellow women in magic. I feel like we all rise together, and there are so many really wonderful women doing amazing work in magic today. You know, Even though it's been such a historically male-dominated field, even in history, there have been some terrific female magicians like Adelaide Herman. So both in the past and in the present, there are so many women in magic doing fantastic work, and uh, I'm just absolutely thrilled to, to be able to support each other. Do you find that with your schedule and with your, obviously, your approach to magic where you are constantly learning and tweaking and rearranging things, do you find you have alone time where you just don't think about the show or magic or anything else? You just go and do something else? You know, what a good question. I find I think about magic a lot, but I really enjoy thinking about magic, and, and I like making those connections. And of course, sometimes I'll do other things that, that aren't magic-related, but even as I'm doing those other things, you know, I enjoy hiking, for example. As I'm going hiking, that's sometimes when I'll come up with my best ideas for magic, because you know, I'm able to kind of make those connections between different, different thoughts. And so, uh, you know, I love, I love hiking, I love reading, I love spending time with family and friends. But I will say that as a magician, there is something about magic being all-consuming in, in a way that I really enjoy, in a way that I, I really find meaningful, that I'm, I find myself thinking about magic all the time and how to better connect with people and how to make the show better. And I think and, and hope that that makes me a better magician every day. Well, there's a fine line between passion and addiction. So you're passionate about <laughs> <laughs> magic. Do you feel that you might get addicted to magic where that's all you do to the exclusion of anything else, <laughs> having the fix of performing before an audience or developing a new illusion? In other words, are you dreaming about magic when you sleep at night or is it at least somewhat of a break? <laughs> I do sometimes dream about magic, but I feel like magic, again, because it's all about connecting with people, it just feels like such a healthy and such a great 
activity. You know, when I meet fellow magicians and we jam about magic, I think that really is the common element is that element of connection and of storytelling and of sharing that experience of wonder. Now, of course, is every second of every day spent on magic? No, I, you know, I love to, like I mentioned, to read. I love to be outside in nature. I love, you know, there, there are all kinds of things that I enjoy doing that aren't directly magic, but I just feel like to me that, that experience of being able to connect with people and to be able to share with them something really special that's just something that I value so much. And so I, I just want to spend a lot of my time on that. That sounds to me as a very healthy way or a very healthy approach, because I would think that there are magicians who enjoy performing magic, not because of the connection, but because they like to fool people. Mm. In other yeah, words, I... it's a control, it's a, not a control, but a an ability to manipulate. And I don't mean it in a negative way. So I'll, I'll be clear about that. But I, I'm thinking some magicians just like their practice of magic because it allows them to manipulate people and to show, to lead them in a certain direction, whereas yours is really more about connecting with people. Yeah, I think, I think uh, the connection with people is, is what really matters the most to me, and, and I want people to have fun. I want them to feel that they're a part of it. I don't want them to feel that, oh, I got fooled. I don't think that's what magic is really all about. I think it's about being able, again, to share something special with people, to have those moments of, of real connection. But I also think when people get started magic, I mean, I can think back to when I was 10 years old and I was first learning those card magic tricks from the Royal Road. I think the motivation at that time, if I'm, if I'm really thinking about it deeply, I think a lot of it was that excitement of learning these, these coveted magic secrets that were passed down from magician to magician over generation and being able to show the grown-ups, you know, when you're a 10-year-old, <laughs> right. show the grown-ups who seemingly know absolutely everything. And, and be able to show them something that even they don't quite understand, I think there is a certain appeal to that. But over time, and, and as I gained more experience as a magician, it became really clear to me that what I really love about it, what really motivates me every day in magic, is that element of connection. That's what I feel so, well, connected to. Well, as you keep performing, and your show gets more and more popular, and you start doing more shows, and you're involved in more platforms, Will you always keep that as the main focus or your North Star, meaning the connection part? Because clearly, when you do television, for example, or anybody does television or they go on the road, there's extra layers of distancing involved in that. But I, assume, I the way you sound to me is that you're always going to keep that connection part as your main Definitely. focus. It's, it's so important to me. And when you mention other mediums, there's live performance, like you said, there's television, there's magic online through the screen, magic on social media. And I think it's really interesting to see the creative ways that different magicians can really optimize their magic for whatever particular platform they're focused on. But I think at the end of the day, no matter what the medium is, whether you're performing magic on social media or on television or in real life, I think each of those has its own advantages. I think you know, being able to, to, to be back to live shows is something that I'm I'm so thrilled with because there is that special element of live entertainment of being able to really connect with people in the same room, sitting there together. But no matter what the medium is, I think there are absolutely wonderful ways to connect with people and to keep that connection alive. Right. And if you have that skill and talent, that's the important thing. Last question, your most meaningful moment so far in magic. And it could be somebody that you met in the world of magic. It could be something that happened with an audience. I'll let you tell us. Wow, there are so many really meaningful moments that, that mean so much to me that I really treasure. I think those meet and greet moments that I mentioned earlier are something that have been so rewarding and so meaningful, being able to, 
to feel that hopefully I've, I've been able to be a positive role model and to inspire other people, kids who see the show and think, oh my gosh, now this is something that I'm really excited about and that I'd like to explore. That's been really rewarding. Uh, there's also a fantastic organization called Magicians Without Borders. And the organization was founded by a magician and a mime. They're a husband-wife couple, magician and a mime respectively, named Tom and Janet Verner. And they travel all around the world, often to places where people are really facing some some very difficult situations. And they perform magic and they spread hope and happiness and just really, really use their magic for good. And I first connected with Tom and Janet when I was 12 years old. We became friends over the years and had the opportunity to work together, which is something I've been so grateful for. And actually, a few years ago, the Yale Magic Society, which is a group that I founded when I was a student at Yale, and I was the president of that group. And I was able to connect the Yale Magic Society and Magicians Without Borders, these two groups that I love so much, that have meant so much to me. And we did a joint trip together, which is one of the most meaningful experiences that I've had in magic, where we we all went to India together. We went to Mumbai and we went to rural Gujarat and we performed shows together and had the chance to, again, really connect with people and transcend those language barriers, even though many of the audiences that we performed for, we didn't speak the same language, but that magic as a universal language was able to come through. So that that really stands out to me as a, as a very special experience as well. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been magician Jen Kramer. She performs the magic of Jen Kramer in the Westgate Cabaret at Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 5 p.m. For ticket information, go to westgateresorts.com. And for everything about Jen Kramer, go to magicofjen.com and follow her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube at Jen Kramer Magic. That's K-R-A-M-E-R. Jen, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ira. This has been great. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.